Like, what are some things you know now that you didn't know then? And we would love to hear those lessons. Just, just tons. <laughs> I'd love to share. I, I mean, with really, you. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think I have learned uh, a lot on uh, nearly every job that. Uh, In this episode, you will hear from my colleague Richard Soule who will share his many different career paths he had working in public health practice and in academia. We'll cover the role of public health departments in infectious disease management and how the public health department is handling the coronavirus and what you can do to help prevent infections. You will learn the difference between public health research and public health practice and what is the biggest and smallest factor that's impacting the social determinants of health. And what is social determinants of health? So stay tuned. In our conversation, Richard, who has over five decades of work experience in public health, he will share with us the three top public health issues that remains unresolved in the new year 2020 and what you can do to help out. So stay tuned and listen on. Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ki Chan. What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. This podcast is your source of the latest trend in public health. Hello, friends. I'm so excited today that we have my special friend and colleague and mentor, Richard Soule, who's joined us today to share his many years at practice in public health and also in academia. I'm really excited that he decided to join us today, and I'm going to share brief introduction about his amazing background. Richard Soul is a retired as an Associate Dean of Community and Public Health Practice and a Clinical Assistant Professor in Health Policy Administration at the University of Illinois Chicago of Public Health in 2017. He has a long history of involvement in the health and human resources, policy formation, management, and community affairs in the Chicago area. He was the executive director of the Health System Agency for the suburban Cook County and DuPage County. He was a deputy commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health and the executive director of Chicago Health Policy Council at the University of Chicago. He received a master's of public health degree in health administration from the University of Oklahoma and a bachelor's degree from Bowling Green State University. He has served on the Chicago Board of Health and the Illinois State Board of Health. He is the immediate past Chairman of the Board of Directors of the Illinois Action for Children, past president of the Illinois Public Health Association, former chairman of the Chicago Neighborhood Health Centers, and the former chair of the Harbor Quest. So I'm so delighted that Richard Soule has joined us today to share his expertise and work experience and his story of his impact in public health and how and how also how public health has impacted him in many different ways. So let's begin, Richard. And it's good to be here, Key, and especially good to be uh, speaking with you about these issues. Oh, thank you so much, Richard. Today, I would like to have an opportunity for us to discuss uh, what's going on in today's world in terms of public health and any leadership advice that you can share about today's emerging issues. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how the public health department is addressing the coronavirus. 
that's happening right now in the U.S. and it's been a global sensation、um, for the past few months. Love to hear your thoughts and what the role of public health is and how management and leadership in public health、um, can play a bigger role in addressing this issue right now. When I first heard about this, I immediately had a flashback to my days at the Chicago. Department of Public Health. I do recall that、uh, the health department in Chicago had uh, personnel, uh, along with the United States Public Health Service, at the airports、uh, and any international、uh, port for coming into Chicago.、Uh, Chicago,、uh, even though it's inland, it's on the Great Lakes. The Great Lakes go to the Saint Lawrence Seaway. Which goes out to the Atlantic Ocean, so you have ships uh, from uh, many parts of the world that come into Chicago through that route, and there were personnel there、uh, that were set up to protect the health of Chicagoans、uh, from visitors that might be bringing in uh, uh, infectious uh, diseases, and. The thing about the corona、uh, virus, as I understand it, it's、uh, it's a subspecies, so there's no vaccine for it. And right now, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are apparently trying to work on a, a vaccine, and that, you know that could take some time.、Uh, but there's still preventive、uh, measures that can be taken, and、uh, it, it's interesting.、Uh, My wife and I traveled uh, to China. Uh, I think it was October of 2019.、Uh, we didn't go to that particular city. We, we spent all of our time in Shanghai, and then did a cruise ship、uh, to a couple of places in、uh, Japan. But I thought about it as soon as I heard about this、uh, coronavirus. So health departments、uh, do play a role. In、uh, these kinds of diseases that might have an origin, you know, outside of the United States. To follow on that note, Richard, you know, your years at the Chicago Department of Public Health, like, how does the public health department in general, like, so our listeners can know、uh, know more about public health's role in these type of infectious disease control in general? I mean, we always hear about the CDC coming in and National Institute National Institution of Health NIH. But at a local level, like, what does the public health department do, and what role can the public in general do、um, to assist the public health department? Love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, there's a subset of、uh, diseases that are reportable, and that's usually、uh, by state law or either、uh, a statute passed by a jurisdiction, like a geopolitical unit. Like a county or a city or a village,、uh, or any other type of municipality, and、uh, reportable diseases mean that, that laboratories and clinicians that identify the disease must report it to the、uh, public health department. Once that report comes in,、uh, there is、uh, an, an epidemiological context. For the disease, and the health department has personnel that are disease intervention specialists, and they will go to 
uh, the workplace or the home where the person with this disease uh, is, or maybe even to an inpatient uh, institution, and they will interview the person and interview people who have come in contact. Now, the protocol for doing this, of course, varies with the nature of the disease and how it's spread. And uh, so, so these disease intervention specialists uh, do that to minimize the, the spread of the disease uh, and to come up with measures that communicate communities and businesses and places where people congregate can take uh, in light of the phenomena of that disease. So that's their approach uh, to doing that. And then the health department monitors uh, diseases uh, to, to look at uh, what they're doing in the community. Are they spreading? Is it, uh, how many cases do we have? Is this expected or is it uh, unusual? And their strategies and tactics can change as a result of what they find. So that's essentially the way it's done. And there's a whole level of prof professionalism uh, built around this that include clinicians, epidemiologists, and even paraprofessionals uh, can do some of this in terms of the legwork of uh, uh, doing the interviews. And to follow up on that, you know, that one case in Chicago that was identified, what, you know, what are some of the uh, aftermaths once the individual is identified? Like, what are the protocols um, that you can share? And also just general advice for the public so that they don't panic that, oh, they should all get away from Chicago or any affected individuals. Now, because this uh, coronavirus uh, episode received so much publicity, I'm sure I'm not in Chicago right now, but I'm sure the health department is aware and has uh, <clears throat> done their work around that one case that was in the city. They've probably talked to other family members. They've talked to people that that individual might have come in contact with. And from what is known about the disease, uh, that's what would dictate the protocol for prevention. Uh, you don't necessarily do the same thing for every disease. It depends on the epidemiology of the disease. And what advice can you provide for the general public um, to do in these type of situation where the information about inf this infectious disease is somewhat constantly changing? Like we, you know, the etiology, whether there's going to be therapy in, in place and right. you know, the spread, like there's so much information that's constantly changing. Right. Like how do we educate the public, but without promoting fear, but promoting yeah. actually confidence in the public health department that they are doing their job? Well, the health educators at the health department usually do a, a, a pretty good job in getting out information around a disease when it, when it uh, is a problem, when, it, when it's been determined that it's in the community. And the best thing that the general public can do is uh, read the notices and read the information, the public service announcements, and also call the health department and ask questions. And, and maybe even help with uh, some of the preventive
factors that have been identified by the health department if they see violations of it. For instance, it's, it's really interesting how the course of these diseases run. Mosquito-borne illnesses are, are a good example. Health departments have been known to pay a bounty for discarded uh, automobile tires. Because if tires sit around, they'll gather water in the interior of a discarded tire. And that's where mosquitoes lay their eggs. So if you have, if, you, if you're in the season where there's a lot of mosquitoes and your next door neighbor has a bunch of tires stacked up in their backyard, and you can't use an over-the-fence conversation for them to empty the water out of them and discard them, you call, call the health department and uh, um, they will either uh, pay a bounty for those tires to remove them or they will maybe write a legal order and order the person uh, to move it. And if you have a violation of the uh, Board of Health regulations, you may have to go uh, to housing court uh, if you ignore those things. And if you don't show up, you could be summoned to go to court. Uh, that happens with environmental control issues and with uh, disease prevention issues. Well, that's really interesting to share with our audience. So they could be on the lookout to see um, what's going on in their neighbor's um, backyard to see if there's piles of tires and that May, I think maybe many people probably don't realize that there is a public health hazard and the, that the, it is a public health um, it is a public health responsibility to report it not so much as like tattling on your neighbors but more of a being a public health citizen a, a, a real strong positive factor in neighborhoods is block clubs when you have a block club uh, people come together and they do a lot of beautification uh, efforts and they also do things related to improving or maintaining property values. But that's when these things can come up and you can set some norms uh, for good uh, environmental health at the neighborhood level. Uh, I started my career in public health uh, with the local health department in Toledo, Ohio, and I was a rodent and nuisance control sanitarian. That was my first job right out of college. I was a biology major with a chemistry minor, so I went into environmental health. And we did things like uh, asking people to clean up, asking them to rat-proof their sheds and garages, asking them to have tight lids on their garbage cans, and not to put uh, things like uh, sofas and, and chairs that had uh, uh, stuffing material that rats could use for uh, building their nests. So th there were a lot of things like that. Some of them didn't even necessarily look bad, but they were problematic if you're trying to do uh, community level uh, rodent control. So that's just one example of something that, you know, down the line connects to uh, disease in, in humans and even in animals. I've, I've only been at two different local health departments. The first was in uh, Toledo, Ohio. And after leaving that job, I worked for the area-wide comprehensive health planning 
agency uh, in Northwest Ohio. And we did health planning for an 11 county region in Northwest Ohio. And that covered the span of health related issues in terms of healthcare facilities, environmental health, primary care, uh, the whole gamut. It was a very need-based uh, kind of enterprise. And um, when I uh, left uh, Northwest Ohio and came to Chicago, uh, I worked at the area-wide planning agency for suburban Cook County and DuPage County. Uh, we called those agencies health systems agencies. They no longer exist because they were very controversial. Uh, there was a federal law uh, that required that uh, there would be planning at the state level and suggested that there would be planning at the area-wide or regional level within the state. In Illinois, for example, there, there were 11 regions uh, and each of them had a health systems agency. And it was very consumer dominated. Uh, in fact, the board of directors had to have a majority of consumers and the minority of people on the board were healthcare professionals. And they did five-year plans and they did one-year plans. And they also uh, gave advice to uh, the state on healthcare facility development and construction. And uh, so I spent some time doing that and became executive director of that agency after I served as the uh, associate director for planning. Um, and then after I left there, we started a very interesting program in a part of the suburbs, uh, the Northwest suburbs, uh, called Access to Care. And that was in the 80s. That was like 1987, I believe. And um, that organization still exists to this day. And what we were doing is using uh, foundation money and other funds that we could raise to cover those people who fell in the gap between Medicaid coverage and having uh, health insurance, uh, the medically indigent. And we set up a capitation program, uh, which was based on the HMO model, uh, and then recruited doctors who would take a panel of uh, medically indigent people in the suburbs. And the reason for the suburbs is that in the city where there's more uh, density of population, you could uh, do planning to site a primary care clinic. But in the suburbs, uh, the travel times uh, didn't lend itself to that, but there were private physicians there. So we wanted to uh, improve the access for people who didn't have insurance and were above Medicaid eligibility in terms of you know, the so-called working poor who made too much money uh, to qualify for Medicaid but didn't have uh, job-provided uh, health insurance coverage. So that was something that uh, we did for a while. Um, then I actually, uh, Key, was at United Way. Uh, I had been a board member, and uh, they recruited me from the board to be the senior vice president for allocations. 
And that was because of my planning background. And these are advisory decisions to the board as to how the United Way Fund should be allocated to have the greatest impact. And then I had a fascinating job after that, and that was my foray into academia, where I worked at the University of Chicago on uh, a program called the Chicago Health Policy Research Council. This was an organization that uh, used uh, foundation money to pay for policy relevant health services research about Chicago. Uh, the problem that, that, that this organization was trying to solve was that we had all these great universities in the Chicago area and we had faculty researchers that did health services research, but there was a tendency for them to do studies about areas outside Chicago because there was difficulty in accessing data about Chicago and about Illinois. And we believe that this was due to the power of the guilds, the medical society and the hospital association, who they almost wanted you to tell them what your research findings were going to be before they would give you data that you needed to do the analysis and find out what your findings were. So we tried to do something about data. We tried, we, we, we paid for studies about Chicago, if they were policy relevant. We created a research agenda for Chicago, which was a set of studies that would have uh, the greatest impact on Chicago-related problems. We formed an academic consortium that uh, uh, where, where the faculty researchers came together to talk about special problems in doing research, hard to study populations, for, for instance, like residents of uh, public housing. Uh, and we also gave uh, pre-doctoral and post-doctoral uh, dissertation awards and even master's paper awards if they were aligned with our agenda, if they were well done, and if they were uh, uh, relevant again to Chicago. So uh, that, that, that was a very exciting job. Now, while I was there, I did teach uh, a couple of courses. I joined one of my uh, directors in co-teaching uh, a course on urban health care. And then I developed a course on health planning because I looked at their array of health courses and saw that there was nothing on health planning. So I taught that. So not really being an academic, being more of a policy person. Uh, uh, it was interesting that I was the executive director of a health policy research organization, but that was intentional by the people who conceptualized this because they really wanted this research to have impact. So they wanted someone who knew their way around dealing with uh, state institutions and dealing with sort of the policy framework in Chicago. So that was it. Then I came to uh, UIC School of Public Health. Uh, started there uh, just teaching uh, the management course. And I, I was part-time, but they kept adding more and more jobs. 
And then the, uh, we had a dean come in and say we needed to do more in the way of public health practice. That is translating the research into practice, uh, connecting the teaching with the practice of public health. So we, uh, I became the associate dean uh, for community and public health practice. And that was an exciting thing to do. So it's been an interesting uh, career, Key. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, how do you define public health practice? And how is it different than public health research? And I think that is maybe something that seems to be very blurred, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's perhaps some unique distinction between these two fields. I'd love to hear yeah. your perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it is said that in public health, what we're trying to do is teach, uh, conduct research, and do service. And what practice is, uh, it, it's the people who use the tools that come from the academic arena. For instance, teaching. We have some teachers, some faculty members, at the uh, School of Public Health at UIC that integrate a lot of practice into their curriculum. They have their students go out into communities and, and, and do things. They, they bring people from communities into the classroom to actually talk about some of the phenomena that they've already provided the readings and the theory on, and now you can see how it's actually done. Uh, what does the practice look like? Uh, the research, uh, uh, disseminating research findings uh, for that kind of research that has practical application. Uh, that, that's practice. You disseminate it and maybe it will change uh, the practice uh, to align itself with the hard data that has come from the research. Now, all research is not necessarily uh, to be directly translated into practice. Some research is, is more uh, fundamental than that. Uh, you know, it, it, but there's other research that uh, looks at uh, uh, methods. A, a good example would be uh, clinical research, where they find that uh, the protocols and the procedures uh, for dealing with certain diseases uh, create better outcomes. Like one of the things we know for sure is that uh, early prenatal care uh, in the first trimester of pregnancy produces better uh, birth outcomes. We know that. So we want to make that a part of clinical practice, a part of uh, what public health departments do, and a part of what people just know to do. Uh, you know, once you, you, you find out you're pregnant, uh, get an appointment as soon as possible and start a relationship with a clinician so that you can have a good outcome. You can be monitored from a standpoint of nutrition, uh, uh, exercise, uh, and all of those things that contribute to the health of the mother and the health of the child. So that came from research. Uh, so. The, the dissemination of the findings, the translation of the findings so that it converts to practice uh, is what makes 
what the universities do meaningful. Without that, then we're just, you know, sort of uh, navel gazing and, and uh, talking at high levels, but it doesn't have any concrete impact on the health of populations. And that's what we're trying to do. Well, thank you for sharing the definition and it, it gives us a clear distinction what is practice versus research and there's definitely a lot of uh, interweaving of information between the two. And yeah. you know, given your experience in practice and also in research at the health department and your time in academia, like what are some things you know now that you didn't know then? And we would love to hear those lessons. Just, just tons. I'd <laughs> <laughs> love to share I, I mean, with really, you, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I have learned uh, a lot on uh, nearly every job that, uh, that I've been on. Let, let me give you a good example of that. Going all the way back to uh, the health planning agency in Northwest Ohio, I went to a short course at the University of Oklahoma, and this was before I had my master's. Uh, I, I ended up going to the University of Oklahoma uh, to get my MPH. But I went to a short uh, course on health planning, and that's where I learned uh, the steps and the methods involved in, in, in planning at a regional level. So after that short course was completed, I came back to the agency and we had staff meeting every week. And um, I said to my colleagues, I said, you know, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant and I hope I don't sound like, you know, I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land or something. I said, but we're a planning agency, but we don't really do planning. We have discussions and we uh, sort of, uh, based on consensus and logic, come up with reports, but we don't have a rational decision-making process that runs through the issue. And that's what I learned at this short course. Here's how you do planning. Here's a set of indicators that you need to have that's relevant to the topics that you're looking at. Uh, here's how you set goals. Uh, here's the data that you need uh, to, to support the indicators. Here's the analysis uh, that you need to do uh, to see what the time frame is where you can actually have an impact on the indicator levels. Here's the uh, uh, cause and effect analysis of certain problems. And, and what a problem is, is a gap between um, uh, the, 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 the aspiration or the goal and the actual data for that indicator. That area between those two is, is where the problem is. So now you gotta analyze the problem and look at it from the standpoint of the environment, uh, of, uh, of, of uh, health services, of lifestyle and behavior, and of human biology. And then you got to look at the impact that it has on health services and, and, and on uh, health status. So that, that's sort of our core engineering technology for doing health planning. And I just had this sort of awakening <laughs> and, and I shared it with my colleagues and they took it very well. They didn't think I was being a, a, a smarty pants because I'd been to this short course 
on health planning, but we, it, it really helped to change that entire agency to what I believe one of the better local uh, planning agencies in Ohio at the time. And then I brought that to Suburban Cook and DuPage at the Health Systems Agency. And uh, we were the, uh, the only health systems agency that got full designation as a health systems agency in one year. The others took two years. So it, it's good to have sort of a core uh, technology. And that was something I learned, uh, you know, by reading and going to uh, this short course. So that was just one example. And then once you get into these topics, you learn a lot from your colleagues and from uh, the people from the community and people who are professionals. In fact, one of the ways that you find out about problem intervention is to talk to people that have had experiences with that problem. And you learn a lot in, in, in that case. We had a mayor of a community that uh, didn't believe that uh, alcoholism was a disease. Um, and at the end, by the end of the meeting, where you had two or three people who had expertise in alcohol abuse and alcoholism, that mayor's opinion was changed. Uh, so that was a person that learned something just in the course of a meeting. Uh, so so you, 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 you learn things, uh, and, and you know, as well as I do, at the university, you really learn a lot from your colleagues, uh, not, not just from the books and, 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 and the research that you do, but from your colleagues and from the students. Uh, students have had uh, experiences, and uh, they can tell you some things that, you know, maybe you didn't read in the book or didn't uh, see data for. So I, I, I think you become sort of a lifelong student, especially in something as uh, dynamic as public health. That's a great example that you share, Richard, that you know, we're constantly seeking extra training, additional information, either through reading, conversation with colleagues, uh, to do our work better and so that we can make a better impact in public health. Yeah, that, that was a minister of health in uh, Canada uh, several years ago, back in the early 90s, named Mark Long. And he had the, he developed the health field concept and said that the underlying determinants of health uh, were, there's a longer list now, but Lalonde said it was lifestyle and behaviors, uh, human biology, environment, and the health system. And the biggest determinant, the biggest factor was lifestyle and environment. And the smallest factor uh, on that list of four was the health system. But our investment is in the health system. And one of the big gaps, uh, I think, and, and we have some of this in our courses, but we just don't emphasize it enough is helping our students to understand social marketing. Now, what I mean by that is how do you work to change the behaviors of the population toward better health practices? 
If we could do that, uh, we could have an extraordinary impact uh, on prevention and on the spread of disease. Uh, you see these signs uh, and, and you have this axiom about hand washing being one of the most effective uh, preventive mechanisms uh, that exist. A really simple thing. I mean, I've even heard it said that you should wash your hands uh, long enough to sing the happy birthday song. <laughs> and, uh, you know, not just with water, but with soap. Uh, so hand washing is a big deal. But it, it, there's, there's a lot of things that we know about the underlying causes of diseases that if that knowledge was went beyond uh, professionals and clinicians and healthcare workers to just the general population, uh, we would be in good shape if people only knew. And I think it's the role of public health professionals to be very skilled in helping people to know how to protect themselves against disease and how to uh, live healthy lifestyles. And I think that's, that's probably one of the things we could strengthen in uh, the education of public health workers. I like the way you define that social marketing. I think oftentimes we think of public health communication and the first thing people think of is those public health announcements that goes on the radio or on the TV. Right. But, you know, because now we're living in a such more, in a very social environment where everyone's on their phone, um, you get information on Facebook, the use of social media is how can we integrate the way people are re gathering information and take, use that as an advantage to market public health in a way that's receptive to them in that way. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, there's a lot going on right now in the infectious diseases, but just in general, like, you know, in the past year and even in the in this new decade of 2020, um, is what are some, like at least three, if you can share, like three emerging public health issues that we're still dealing with into the 2020 and why are they not resolved? And what can we do as a public as a general public and people yeah. working in public health. Love to hear your thoughts on like maybe three top things that we're still dealing with and, and why yeah. is that? Yeah, well, you know, I really think that uh, work is uh, a major issue that impacts health. Work, compensation for work, uh, the, the, the compensation gap, uh, we, we, we have uh, a very small number of people that have extraordinary amounts of money. And then we have this huge gap uh, when we get down to just regular people. And I think that is an issue with respect to uh, housing, uh, food, access, and those kinds of things, neighborhood environments. Uh, I think that's a big uh, challenge. And also what our values are uh, in, in relationship to each other. Some of the issues that you see in communities where there's violence, uh, it comes from uh, uh, wealth inequality to a great extent. 
un unemployment uh, and, and, and how we've structured our society. And I, I think that is a public health issue. Uh, already, we have argued that violence is a public health issue because uh, from what we know about the causes of violence, it, it fits into the epidemiological model uh, where you look at causation and associations uh, for diseases, where you can look at that. Uh, research has shown that there are those factors in terms of violence. So if you can mitigate those factors, you can reduce violence. Um, so, and, and then people uh, are worried and they are stressed and they don't know how they're gonna take care of their families. Uh, that's a, all a part of the uh, unemployment and the underemployment that, that we see. People are working multiple jobs and they don't have uh, time to rest. Uh, so th those are things I think that are huge public health challenges. Mm. And you just mentioned that there are factors that contribute to violence. I would love to if you can just expand upon that. Like what are some of the upstream and downstream effects of violence and as a result of violence? Well, you, you, you know about the study, uh, what's it called? The, is it the ACE study, the adverse? Childhood experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. those, those <laughs> things that, that contribute to chronic disease uh, when people get older. Um, a lot of those factors uh, are associated with violence also. Um, for instance, when you uh, have uh, people who uh, are working multiple jobs, that means they're not able to spend time with their families. And uh, that means that the children might be unattended for longer periods of time than is, is good. Um, the, the funding of public education, uh, where uh, when I went to school, I don't think we got out of school at the end of the day until 3.30 or 4 o'clock, something like that. Uh, children are getting out of school a lot earlier, so that creates this time gap between when they are, are free from going to school and when their parents get home from work. So what, what are they doing during that time? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, I mean, there are things like that that we need to think about in terms of how we structure our society uh, and, and what the consequences of not getting it right really are. Knowing that these are, you know, those, the, the issues that you share with us are just many of the still emerging issues that we're still dealing with, but, you know, those uh, affects many aspects of the social determinants of health. And, you know, as we're wrapping up, I'd love to hear if you can share, like, what's one golden nugget of advice that you can provide for listeners who are thinking about working in public health or are currently working in public health. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you don't really see the end result until a lot later because that's what public health is, right? Like public health is really about long-term investment, like long-term impact. So, you know, sometimes may feel discouraged or when, you know, when is the, you know, how do I see the end in mind when it's just, you know, the day-to-day -day activities just seems very mundane. 
Um, so what's a golden nugget that you can provide advice for students to get excited about public health and for those who are currently working in public health? Well, you know, I, I've always told uh, people who are thinking about uh, careers in public health to uh, become familiar with the field uh, through the broad array of coursework and studies and find something in that array that excites you, that you like, that you're interested in, that motivates you, that you're good at. And take a, a deeper dive into that one thing and then, you know, get really good at it then that becomes your core technology. Uh, I did that with planning. Um, I really looked into planning. How do you plan? And at, at, at the core of my being, even though I've done management and other things, I'm a planner. And I'm a planner because I like it, I understand it, and I've studied it. And it doesn't bore me. <laughs> uh, it sort of mystifies me, but it doesn't bore me. And I, I think there are other aspects of public health that you can do that same thing with. And it can be very exciting and very rewarding. Mm, so that's a good advice is to yeah. really um, develop a skill set that yeah. you're very good at and that you know if one area as um, that you've been working on, you know, maybe may not have be not may not have funding, but maybe the funding cycle now is focused on another public health issue. But you're really good at a specific tool or method, such as planning. You could plan for that specific area of public health, and so it makes you much more marketable because you have a skill set that's transferable to different areas of public health. So I think that's a really important um, tool and advice that you're sharing with our audience here. And we'll love to know like, where are you up to now, Richard? Uh -huh. Now well, that you I, retired? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm co-authoring a book with Dr. Key Chan uh, <laughs> right now. And we have our manuscript in to the publisher and we're, we're uh, doing some fine points on it. And we, we, we're trying to address this uh, sort of next level in management in public health, uh, all public health uh, professionals at the graduate level have to take a basic management course as part of the requirements. But when they graduate and they have a master's degree in public health, I think that their employers expect them to know uh, more about management. So you and I are developing this book that will address that next level of management for those that see themselves as managers or as i say to students are at risk for becoming managers just because they're going to be in a employment group where they might be in the minority uh, of people that have a graduate education in, in public health so we're hoping that our book will do that and then other than that i'm being uh, a retired person and a husband and a father and a grandfather <laughs> That's keeping you busy. Have, we're trying to have some some fun. We 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 are snowbirds now. We spend uh, uh, winter and part of the spring in Florida, uh, and then uh, summer and fall in Chicago. Uh, so we have these two places to live, and 
some new friends down here. So it's it's a uh, we're in, we're enjoying ourselves. Mm. And if listeners wants to reach out to you um, to learn more about your work or either get advice or in any type of capacity, like what's the best way um, for the, the our listeners? best way is is to send me an email. Uh, my email address is uh, richiehouston at gmail.com. And, and the, the Houston is spelled H-U-S-T-O-N, not H-O-U. So it's R-I-C-H-I-E-H-U-S-T-O-N, richiehouston at gmail.com. I use that because that's what my mother called me. Oh, <laughs> I was wondering where that came from, but yeah. okay. And my name is Richard Houston Sewell, and my father's right. name was uh, Richard Henry Sewell, and my mother called him Sewell, and then called me Richie Houston. Oh, all right. Oh, nice. Always nice to hear the origins of names. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this episode with my friend Richard Soule and you got a few golden nuggets of advice on working in public health and even a boost of inspiration for those who are already working in public health. Working in public health is a community effort. The end in sight in many public health work is often through a long, dark tunnel, but there is light at the end. In order to achieve public health success, we need you to be involved as well. You know, while we can work on policy, developing programs, and new initiative, we need you to be a part of it, participating in it, supporting it, and being a public health advocate. If you want to connect with us, feel free to connect with me. Uh, My contact information is in the show notes. And also with Richard, he kindly shared his contact information if you're interested in learning about public health practice, working in local government, and also in academia. And we'll keep you posted on our upcoming new textbook that Richard and I are writing. It is the Advanced Management and Leadership in Population Health. We're going to cover tips and skills on how to manage and lead change in your community. If you got questions about any of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly. And while you're there at it, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so that we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.